to the markets. Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona, Friday, February 7th. And along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson taking a look at another week of unexpectations that impacted the market. And as a result, we saw the market move higher during the week and then move lower today. So the Dow Industrial Average today down 277 points, putting it 29,102. The S&P 500 down 18 points at 3327. The Nasdaq down 51 points at 9520. And the worry factor, as we call it, VIX at the CBOE gained half a point to end the day and the week at uh, 1547. So those are the numbers for the day, but let's look at the numbers for the week because they were interesting too. For the week, the S&P 500 up 3.17%. For the week, the Dow was uh, up about 3%. And for the week, we had the best NASDAQ number since the end of November 2018 and the best weekly performance for the S&P 500 since early June of 2019. Taking a look at today as we ended the week, Wall Street fell from record levels today after a four-day rally as investors digested the monthly U.S. jobs report and then braced for the next coronavirus developments. The S&P 500 recording its biggest weekly percentage increase in eight months. One analyst said, Today was just a technical pullback based on the big run-up that we had during the week. And the Labor Department's closely watched employment report showed non-farm payrolls increased by 225,000 jobs last month. And economists polled by Reuters had expected that number to go up by just 116,000 jobs. That report today followed other encouraging U.S. economic data earlier in the week. Indeed, key risks to the U.S. economy have receded. That according to the Federal Reserve in its latest monetary policy report to Congress. But the Fed did note risk from the fallout from the coronavirus outbreak. The death toll in mainland China topped 630 as the week came to an end. And one other analyst said, we still don't know the magnitude of the economic damage that the coronavirus will eventually do to the global economy. And that continues to get considered by market participants. Fourth quarter corporate earnings season, more than halfway done. And overall, S&P 500 earnings are expected to have climbed 2.3% in the period. In company news today, a couple of stocks to make note of. Uber Technology shares climbed 9.5% after the ride-hailing company laid out an ambitious plan to be profitable by the end of 2020. 
But then on the other hand, Take-Two interactive software shares fell 11.9% after the video game publisher's adjusted revenue missed the estimates. In global equity trade today, we find markets and government debt yields down today as nagging concerns about coronavirus on global growth overshadowed a strong U.S. jobs report. And taking a look at some of those foreign markets today, the uh, German industrial production tumbled 3.5%, exceeding expectations of a rather minor percent. And Germany's benchmark 10-year bond yield fell as low as 0.368% before coming a little higher toward the close. The Japanese yen strengthened about a quarter of a percent. And in Asian trade, the yen halted a slide that had it set for the worst week in 18 months. Oil prices also have another story that's being watched by oil traders. Oil prices fell 1% today as Russia said it needs more time before committing to cuts in oil output that uh, has been requested by other large producers. And again, coronavirus having an impact. Oil prices posted their fifth straight weekly decline. Brent crude down 46 cents to settle at $54.47 a barrel. And for the week, Brent crude sank six and a third percent. And then U.S. West Texas crude futures fell 63 cents to settle at $50.32 a barrel. The contract lost 2.4% for the week. This week, a panel advising OPEC+, Plus, that's the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries and Allies, led by Russia, suggested cutting output by 600,000 barrels per day. So uh, let's look at that uh, report on employment that ended the week and uh, the uh, job growth accelerated in January with unseasonally mild temperatures, boosting hiring in weather-sensitive sectors. The Labor Department's closely watched monthly employment report today, however, showed that the economy created 514,000 fewer jobs between April of 2018 and March of 2019 than originally estimated. The biggest downgrade to payrolls over a 12-month period since 2009 That took some of the shine from the employment report, which also showed a pickup in wage gains. Payroll growth expected to slow a little bit in February, again because of the coronavirus, and uh, the jobless rate up just one-tenth of a percentage point to 3.6% in January. Then uh, we take a look at some uh, of the activity in other segments of the economy this week. 
And the uh, factory activity unexpectedly rebounded in January after contracting for five straight months amid a surge in new orders. A rebound in business investment is critical to keeping the longest economic expansion in history now in its 11th year on track amid signs of fatigue in consumer spending. The Institute for Supply Management said today its index of national factory activity increased to a reading of 50.9 last month. That's the highest level since July. In other economic news, defense aircraft demand boosted uh, new orders for U.S.-made goods, and it increased by the most in nearly a year and a half in December amid strong demand for defense aircraft. However, weak business spending on equipment pointed to a rather limited scope for a sharp rebound in manufacturing even as business confidence is improving. Shipments of manufactured goods rose half a percent in December after gaining three-tenths of a percent in November. The uh, news that Tesla made this, this week impressed some investors. Others are still skeptics. But here's the news. Shares of Tesla surged 15% on Tuesday of this week, hitting the $900 mark, extending a stunning rally that has more than doubled the company's market value since the start of the year, as more investors are betting on Chief Executive Elon Musk's vision. The latest surge was partly fueled by Panasonic Corporation, which also said on Monday Its automotive battery venture with Tesla was in the black for the first time in the history of the company. Speaking of another first-time event, Twitter pulled in $1 billion in quarterly revenue for the first time in its history. That happened on Thursday, beating expectations as... uh, Uh, that the investors and economists were looking for in that report that came out. And uh, I don't know if you've been seeing all the TV commercials for the exercise bike made by Peloton, but exercise bike maker Peloton Interactive this week forecast current quarter revenue below Wall Street expectations and hinted at slowing sales growth sending its shares down 12% in trading when it issued that report this week. And then uh, back to coronavirus for just a moment, because it made news in another way this week. One of the first Chinese doctors who tried to warn the world about coronavirus died on Friday from the illness uh, Li Wenlang, 34 years old, a doctor at a hospital in Wuhan, the city hardest hit by the outbreak. He and seven others were reprimanded by Wuhan police last month for spreading, quote, illegal and false information about the coronavirus. But he passed away this week. 
Well, there was a convention in San Antonio, Texas this week. Max Armstrong was there, and we'll check in with him when we continue on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. This is the season for conventions for farmers and ranchers across the country, and it seems every week we have at least one or two of those gatherings. And this past week, it happened in San Antonio, Texas, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association annual gathering. Max Armstrong was there, and uh, he tells us a lot of the talk had to do with cattle prices and the economic outlook. Well, of course, the economics of the business can be challenging. Get it? Cattle Facts, they watch that every moment of every day. It's great to have Randy Block here with us, Chief Executive Officer of Cattle Facts, longtime team member of Cattle Facts. How long have you been there? Max, I've been blessed. I've had the opportunity to work with the cattlemen and Cattle Facts group now for nearly 40 years. So I'm in my 40th year now and uh, I don't feel like I've ever had a day of work. You've seen a lot of ups and downs in the business, but have you ever seen as much volatility in the, the cattle market? Well, this last decade, we've uh, we've gone through an incredible amount of volatility, some to the upside, some to the downside, and a lot of it on both sides of the market during the course of a year. So it's really unprecedented, but again, I think when we look at these global markets that we now operate in, this is the new normal. Well, as we look at the numbers that we have here, the beef cow herd is now declining, correct? It is. It's shrinking a little bit. But uh, honestly, I think where we are in the cattle cycle is we're really going to flatten the herd out. I do not see the industry going through a liquidation phase unless it's drought-driven. Demand has been so strong that, uh, and with the expansion of these trade deals, as we look at the renewed access to a level playing field into Japan, Uh, expanded access into China, we really don't expect we're going to go through much of a liquidation. You mentioned drought, and and we do keep an eye on that drought monitor map. Uh, There are things that can jump out at you from time to time when you look at it. Oh, there really are, and Dr. Art Douglas has done a wonderful job for our producers for years, and he thinks we're going to go through a little bit of a drying phase. We're not going to a big drought situation, but I believe he'll share with our uh, folks this week at the Outlook Sessions that uh, he does think we're going to have a weak La Nina that we're going to be dealing with in parts of the country. Calving time can be challenging sometimes for some of our producers to be sure. How's that going? Well, I think for the most part we're getting along pretty good here in the early stages. We'll really get into the middle of the calving season here in the next uh, late February on it through April. That's always a challenging time in here in the Northern Plains and Central Plains region. Last year was a difficult time, as we all remember, one of the wettest years in history when we go back and we think about Kansas north on into the Dakotas and and, uh, Montana and those regions. Nobody ever wants to complain about moisture, but we were probably on the verge of being a little bit too wet in some of those areas. Some of the longer-term maps show a lot of cold over the heartland, well, over the next uh, few weeks here. That can 
be challenging too in a number of ways, can't it? Oh, it really can, you know, especially in so many of these areas. These ranching operations are vast. We can't bring all these cattle into the barns. These the, these cows are calving outside. So uh, um, always cold, cold, cold temperatures can be a challenge. Taking a look at the feedlot numbers, we recently saw some inventory numbers. Where do we stand there? Our feedlot numbers continue to stay very strong. We've got about 2.5% more cattle on feed, some of the biggest on-feed numbers in the history of our industry, uh, especially the on-feed numbers from Kansas South, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas. They're very robust. But we've done a great job of marketing cattle in here. So uh, we anticipate that we'll have to harvest another quarter of a million head of fed cattle this year than last year. Uh, those forecasts haven't changed, but uh, again, we'll test the system. We're in a correction now in the fed cattle market, aren't we? Well, we've had a little bit of a correction, you know, centered is around. Is it just there. a correction? Well, I think it's this is just a correction. You know, I think we've gone through a situation with the coronavirus. We've seen a major exodus of uh, the fund monies out of the commodity futures, the live cattle futures. We've seen about 50,000 contracts come out here in the last week, so... I think we're just at a spot in here where we'll start to launch. We'll still have a spring rally into cash. Are there some experiences uh, of the past that give us some guidance? Just looking back at the SARS thing, can we draw any conclusions uh, to the direction of this just by gauging what happened back then? Well, I think we can. You know, you go back, whenever you have an event like we're dealing with today, you're looking at a global slowdown. Global GDP is likely going to shrink a little bit, especially in China where they've quarantined so many folks. That'll have an impact on slowing down U.S. exports for a period of time. So um, obviously we've got a few challenges ahead. Let's look at that demand side. Uh, First of all, domestically, it looks like we're not going to have recession this year. Many of the economists are saying, is it full speed ahead or do we have to worry about some of these international ramifications, even filtering back into the U.S. economy? Well, I think you always have to be worried about them. But, you know, if we just look at what's happened over the last several years, demand for protein has been incredible. High-quality protein, what we're seeing domestic-wise, beef demand has been phenomenal. Uh, pork demand in the global landscape has been uh, continues to be big. 25% of our pork production in excess of 25% is exported. Poultry, 17 18%. So these numbers are pretty strong. We think we're going to have another strong year. You know, it's swine fever, who knows? I mean, this has been a story now for 18 months. Uh, We think pork exports are going to grow substantially. We think poultry exports are going to grow substantially. With Australia's major drought, big drop in production in Australia, we think that opens the door for the U.S. to be the largest supplier in Japan within the next one to two years again. So... I think that bodes pretty well for a very strong exports scene here for the U.S. meat industry. The risks are abundant everywhere Absolutely. you look. I mean, that's that's the thing that we keep being reminded of. And the producer needs to be very aggressive in managing the risks, correct, Randy? Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think just look at the last 12 months. The last 12 months, we had three moves in six months' time from April to November that were six sixteen dollars a hundred to twenty five dollars a hundred three of them. I mean we're talking about two hundred dollars ahead moves in that short a period of time and again you can see it in the last two weeks with coronavirus our markets basically adjusted ten dollars a hundred on the futures 
Now the cash hasn't had to move that much, but the futures markets anticipating a worst case scenario, these markets could move a lot in a hurry. As far as feedlots are concerned, uh, there aren't many big worries about feed costs right now, correct? I mean, generally speaking, we're in pretty good shape. We're in pretty good shape from a feed cost standpoint, uh, much, much better shape from a feeding performance standpoint across most of the feeding belt. Uh, I'm optimistic about our cattle feeding margins. Actually, I would look at it this way. Every segment of the cattle producing industry in 2020 is going to be profitable. How many times can we say that in our careers, Max? I mean, we're not going to be cannibalizing each other. Cow-calf producers are going to be profitable. Stockers, backgrounders, cattle feeders, and packers. I think that's a great story for our industry. And I think it tells the story of how good demand really is. Costs need to be managed, though, do they not? I mean, the producers need to keep an eye on that. Oh, we have to. You know, we've got to manage our businesses. These things can move, and if we go to sleep, they can change in a hurry. But the margins have been there for us to go out and capture. We've actually seen a higher percentage of the U.S. cattle feeders that have become risk managers here over the course of the last several years. We have less than a half minute. How about some highlights of prices, fed cattle prices looking forward? Well, the last several years on fed cattle prices, we basically have traded up to highs that have approached 130, and our lows have been back around $1.05 or 6 I think we're going to be in about the same kind of range this next year with production up a couple of percent, poultry production up another 3 to 4, pork production up 2.5, so we got a lot of protein. Uh, Calf prices, we think they're going to be higher. We think feeder cattle prices are going to be a little bit higher this year. Exports will be strong. Again, I think the big thing, the big change in 2020 is an improvement in profitability for all segments. And it's always good to see you. Thanks for your insight, sir. Randy Block, Cattle Facts. Take care. Great to be with you, Max. Thanks and appreciate all the work you do out there and serving our producers all across the United States. There were some soybeans taking place in the international market this week, but it wasn't the United States soybeans because in China, large size crushers kicked off a buying spree this week soon after the end of Chinese New Year holiday and they purchased at least a million tons of soybeans, not from the U.S., but from Brazil. The total purchases of soybeans by China from Brazil this week could already hit 1.3 million tons, according to trade sources in the soybean market. And another story from Brazil dealing with soybeans this week. They're harvesting soybeans, of course, the current crop year, and as of the end of this week, Brazil's soybean harvest was 15.7% complete. That's down more than 10% from the progress they'd made at this same time a year ago. A year ago, they had completed 27.3% of soybean harvest in Brazil in the uh, last crop. So they're running about 10% behind the uh, progress of harvest in soybeans in Brazil in the past week. Chinese President Xi Jinping told President Trump that China would still meet its phase one trade deal purchasing targets despite the delays linked to the coronavirus. 
That, according to White House advisor Larry Kudlow, who spoke following a phone call between the two top leaders earlier today, said there was no tension between the U.S. and China over the handling of the fast-moving virus outbreak. But it could impact the sale or the delivery of soybeans to China from the phase one agreement that we had signed back on January 15th. But right now, they say that China's going to be able to live up to its commitment. Another development uh, that again was impacted, I'm sure, by the situation in China. Tyson Foods this week said it was cutting 500 jobs as part of a restructuring program and it reported quarterly sales that fell short of analyst estimates. Shares of the Jimmy Dean sausage maker fell over 2% in trading on February 6. Tyson launched the restructuring program as it competes with other global meat companies to supply products to China, the world's largest pork consumer. And a devastating pig disease, African swine fever, has decimated the Chinese hog herd, raising the need for meat imports. Tyson is also seeking to benefit from a pledge by Beijing to boost the import of American farm goods as part of that initial trade deal. The company eliminated positions across several areas and job levels, resulting in a $44 million pre-tax charge related to severance pay and other employee-related costs. Most of the positions were in corporate offices in Chicago and Springdale, Arkansas, where Tyson is based. Sales rose 6.1%. to $10,820,000,000, but fell short of analyst estimates. They were expecting $11,040,000,000, according to one source. So again, could be one more situation where we're looking at uh, the impact of that uh, Chinese coronavirus situation. U.S. renewable fuel prices have doubled since a U.S. appeals court in late January ruled that the Trump administration must reconsider three waivers it previously handed out to oil refineries that exempted them from biofuel blending laws. Renewable fuel credits, known as RINs for 2019, are trading at around 19 cents each. That's up from 9 cents before the court's decision on January 24th. And refiners, including Philip 66 and Valero Energy Corporations, have actively bought in the market. Prices have steadily risen because the court decision raises the possibility of fewer small refinery waivers going forward, and that creates higher demand for the credits. Under the renewable fuel standard here in the United States, the nation's oil refineries are required to blend billions of gallons of biofuels such as ethanol into the nation's fuel pool or buy credits known as the RINs 
from those that do. But the EPA can waive refiners' obligations if they prove compliance would cause them financial stress. And we heard a lot of unhappiness from corn growers and ethanol producers last year about the use of those waivers that uh, expanded to much bigger numbers than I think the corn industry and the ethanol industry expected. So let's see where we ended the week on the agricultural trade. Corn and wheat futures moved higher uh, yesterday and today on chart-based buying and short covering, coupled with the optimism about prospects for U.S. agricultural sales to China. So at the end of the day and at the end of the week, March wheat was up three cents a bushel, five fifty-eight and three quarters. March corn up four cents a bushel at three dollars eighty-three uh, and a half cents a bushel. March soybeans up one and three quarters, ending the day and the week at eight dollars eighty-two cents a bushel. And while we had one day of limit-up moves in lean hog futures at the Mercantile Exchange, we backed away from that limit-up move on Thursday today to end up a dollar fifty-five cents a hundredweight. The April live cattle contract down twelve cents, and the April feeder cattle contract down twenty cents a hundredweight. As always, we thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll be back next week when we join you again on The Markets.